the subject tonight is the sinner, the schoolmaster, and the saviour. Or if you want, the schoolmaster, the sinner, and the saviour. Um, it's just the schoolmaster seemed to fit well between it. The subject tonight, I understand, and I'm well aware that there are many in, if I can call it modern, if that's the word, Christianity, who would greatly object to what I'm going to bring tonight, uh, thinking that that the law of God is done away with, and that the law of God is no more uh, sway on the lives of men and women, that, uh, and we're going to look at what happens when that law, the law of God, is no longer uh, uh, used in society and by Christians as well. Likewise, we'll just lift out a couple of verses. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, please. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Father, take your word and inscribe it in every single heart and life tonight. And we ask you, God, that you would anoint my lips And Lord, that you would help us to hear and to listen, to receive and understand that which you would say to every one of us tonight. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of song and the gospel in the song. We thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord, even, Lord, for the striving of your spirit, which we heard at the start. Lord, we pray there'd be none who'd turn away your spirit. And Father, we pray there'd be none who'd turn away the cross work of your son. Glorify your name, Lord Jesus. May you be exalted and you alone. And we pray, Father, this night be over that there'd be, your children would be encouraged, that we would all be educated and come to an understanding. And not only that, Father, but we pray that for ones who are here now, watching live or listening or watching later, at whatever point, Lord, should your word find that place to, uh, Lord, to convince them or to convict them, whatever their standing is with you, Lord, we pray that your word would have free course in the midst, Father. So glorify your Son. Apply the blood to this people. And we claim the merit, the efficacy of the blood of the Lamb tonight over our homes and our lives and our families and all that we are and do over this place, Lord, where we worship you. Bless them who are away on holidays and those who are ill tonight and can't come, Lord, would you touch them and meet them at their point of their need? And we just ask you, Lord, that you would now move by thy Spirit in our midst. And be exalted and glorified, Lord Jesus, for your name's sake we pray. Amen. Notice in verse 24, we have the sinner, we also have the schoolmaster, and we have the saviour. Notice, if you will, first of all, verse 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster bring up to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Notice to bring us that we, to bring us that we. So there's the sinner to bring us that we. That's you and I when we've been brought to Christ. That's the world who'll hear the gospel of saving grace found in Christ alone. So there is the sinner. And then, of course, there's the schoolmaster plainly mentioned in the verse and also in verse 25. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster. And then verse 25, we're no longer under that schoolmaster. We'll look at that, God willing, in a few moments. The schoolmaster is what? The law of God. So we have the sinner, we have the schoolmaster, which is the law of God, and then we have the saviour. In verse 24, but be, pardon me, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, bring us unto Christ. To bring us unto Christ, there is the saviour. So we have the sinner, we have the schoolmaster, and we have the saviour. In our lives we meet many people, and our lives cross one another. And as they do, we find that in that we're we're led in certain directions to certain ways and certain happenings in our lives. In our school days with schoolmasters and school teachers, uh, we find in days of uh, universities, and we we have places of learning and, and of understanding. We may become, as it were, better in knowledge and more intelligent. And the idea is to bring us to a place where we, we set exams and the exam results will determine uh, that grade that we get. And that grade may determine the position we get in life, uh, in job or wherever we go to with that. The prospects of our future may determine on what the, 
the schoolmaster, as it were, the school that the teachers have taught us. But this schoolmaster in the scriptures is different. And this schoolmaster is the law of God which brings us unto Christ, shows us our end, and shows us who we are, shows us our end, and brings us unto Christ. Being set a task, if you can imagine, being set a task that you cannot complete, being given a job that you simply cannot do, being set a test that you have no idea of or what to do with it, being given an exam you can never do much in or well in, no matter what, it's unattainable, it's unachievable, and it's impossible to you. Every time you sit this exam, you will fail, you will falter, you will fall time and time and time again and again. And the harder you try, the more you, you realize it's impossible. You must try harder. It's not an option. You can never do it. Such a test requires uh, more than yourself. Imagine that. Requirements of the law of God, brothers and sisters, friends, requirements of the law of God, it shows us what we cannot do in ourselves and by ourselves. And the requirements of the law of God shows us that we cannot fully, wholeheartedly keep it and we fail at it. No matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, the law of God, this schoolmaster will show us the standard required by God of us. The standard required by God of us. And then at the end of it, because we will fail at it, you and I in our sin, you and I before Christ, you and I who, who were lost, we would have been pronounced guilty as charged. Guilty of breaking the law, trespassing God's law, full of iniquity and sin and falling far short. Listen to Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Take note of that. All have sinned and come short of the glory, or all of us have broken God's law and fallen short or missed the mark God has set. All of us have. So we're pronounced guilty as charged. Man, every man, every woman is pronounced guilty as charged. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Somebody says to you, what is sin? Oh, well, we'll hear people, sin is acting wrong, being wrong, doing wrong. Sin is uh, uh, being an alcoholic or a, or a drunkard. Sin is being a drug addict. Sin is being a, an immoral man or woman. Sin is this, that, and the other. That, that is the fruit of sin. The root of sin is a transgression of the law. Sin is the root. Sins are the fruit of the life of man and woman. Notice, John tells us, for sin is the transgression of the law. See the word transgression there? You underline it in your flyleaf. You write the little word onomia. Onomia. O-N-O-M-I-A for our English rendering. Onomia. Let me give you an example of this little word here. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. There are those whom the Lord will turn away from him. Those who are not saved. Those who were not of his sheep. Those who were not God's own people. And Christ himself says, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The word iniquity is the same word, onomia, for sin. It is one of the many words for sin, but here it means you who have transgressed the law of God. I didn't know you. Now, God knows everyone, but the idea is I didn't know you in a personal manner. I didn't know you in a saving way, in a personal fashion, like a man and a woman know each other exclusively from others. And they'll say, I don't know you, and you are full of iniquity. You have broken the law. Another one in Matthew 24, 
in verse 12, the Lord Jesus says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The word iniquity is again the same word for transgressing the law. Because the iniquity will abound, the transgression of God's law will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Now you think about this, what's happening in our streets, in our land, in our nation, among our people, in our society. You see what they've done? They've taken everything out from the law of God. They've taken the law of God away from everything. Even in the church, they don't want to know the law anymore. It's like some sort of old, rotten, testament word. And let's get rid of that because we don't want that anymore. And brothers and sisters, listen, the, uh, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, saith the scriptures. It's perfect. The ones who are imperfect are the, those who are trying to keep the law. And we find that keeping the law, none can keep it, so we will, uh, we will fail every time we'll be sinners. Condemned, guilty as charged. Notice, be, because iniquity shall abound, law-breaking, God's law-breaking shall abound. You need to think about this because you're seeing it in your society. What a weekend we have had here in little old Ulster, eh? What a weekend when we have seen people that's like the monkeys let out to run the zoo. Isn't it? Let's be honest. People out slashing people's heads with knives and, uh, and cutting up young men and stuff like this. Uh, well, what barbarity? You know what's wrong? You see, the law of the Lord was taken out of the land. And because iniquity abounds, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many, well, there's no love shown anymore. We see it everywhere where there's injustices in the nation, injustices in our government. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Notice here in Romans 6 and verse 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin breaking. Sin is a transgression of the law. And the wages of breaking God's law. People say, well, I'm here. I'm doing fine. Nothing wrong with me. Live how I want. I don't want to know God's law. Listen, it's not payday yet. It's not payday yet. The wages of sin is death. But here's the glory of it. But the, but, but the gift of God. Notice the gift is free. No payment for it. Nothing to add. Nothing to, to supplement here. It is the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Puritan Henry Smith, he said this, laws are better unmade than unkept. It would be better that, that the laws were never made because you can't keep it, in other words. Man in government and in society may make laws, break laws, bend laws, forsake laws, change laws, but the law of God cannot be broken, nor bent, nor forsaken, nor changed. Man may try it, but man cannot change it. Ultimately, the law of the Lord stays the same. Without paying the price and standing before God, man will break it and find he has a wage to collect, which is death. Listen to what James 4 and verse 12 says. He says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Take note of that. There's one lawgiver who's able to save. Here's God's law. Here's the sinner. Here's the schoolmaster, the law. And here's the savior. And so he reaches down, as it were, and he gives us the law. And the law shows us our sin. And it shows us that we can't save ourselves. And it shows us that we can do nothing to merit salvation or enter heaven. And it shows us we're lost, we're doomed, we're damned on a broad road to destruction. And that's what the law shows us. Shows me that I'm a sinner. That I'm rotten and filthy and corrupt and depraved. You know what that means? The poverty isn't... People think it's, well, oh, you're able to sink to any lows, to commit any sin. That may be an offshoot of it. Depravity means that you are unable to save yourself. You're so depraved, you cannot save yourself. 
And the law shows me that. The schoolmaster tells me that. The schoolmaster teaches me that. The sinner. Listen, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And Paul writes, And you hath he quickened. That's the Holy Spirit he's speaking of. And you hath he quickened. You sinner, he says. You were a sinner. You sinner hath he quickened. The Holy Spirit quickened. Who were dead in trespasses and in sins. The word trespasses, onomia. It's the same word there. You hath the Holy Spirit quickened. You were dead in your lawlessness. You were dead in the breaking of the laws and the commandments of God. You were dead in it. And God came down, the lawgiver. He came down and he's able to save. Do you want help, son? Do you want help, daughter? And many are going, I don't need you, God. I don't want you, God. And here the lawgiver says, I'll save you. I'm your only hope. I'm your only rescue. I'll save you. And he's able to destroy those who reject him. In James chapter 2, verse 10, listen to what he says. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. How good are you? It's like the young man comes to the Lord Jesus and says, Good master, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus says unto him, Keep the commandments. He gives him some commandments. He says, All these have I kept from my youth up. You've just broken one. You've just lied. Because <laughs> you haven't. You keep one. or Keep them all and you, you break one. You're guilty of all, says James. That's how important it is. We're going to look at this. See, people say, Jesus done away with the law. No, no, no. We're going to look at this. No, he didn't do away with the law. He kept the law. Notice here, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. There's a little scripture, if you want to turn briefly and quickly with me to in Deuteronomy chapter 27. We'll just lift out the one verse. Deuteronomy. James is borrowing, as it were, he's rehearsing this little verse here in this portion of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and verse 26, right down to the end of the chapter. Here's the cursed, if you wanted to take your time to, to read them. And here is the cursed in verse 26. Cursed be he that confirmeth, confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Notice what he says there. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words to do this law, of this law to do them. And the word confirmeth here is the word kum. Listen to what it means. It means to abide in. To abide. To rise up in. To be clear with. And to be complete in. Every unsaved man and woman are under this curse. Cursed be. See, the law shows us that we're under the curse. Cursed be. Every unsaved man and woman are under this curse, the curse of the law, because they fail to abide in it, to raise it up in their homes, in their lives, in their families. They fail to be clear in it when they're out and about. No, we don't need this anymore. Let's just talk about love, 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 love everywhere, even in the church. And notice, they fail to complete it and to confirm all the words of this law. I believe in the Old Testament and I believe in the New Testament, but I don't say I only believe the new, not the old, and the old, not the new. I'm a whole testament from Genesis to Revelation, the whole words of the law Amen. and of the word of God. That's right. Notice here, our nation, United Kingdom, is under a curse because they've turned away from God. Our nation is under a curse because they took the things of God and the law of God, that which our foundation was built on, and they've thrown it out. Why do you think, if we were to sit down, we probably can't even remember, bring to mind or compute the things that are happening day by day in our nation that's happening in England and Scotland and Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland and Wales. 
We probably couldn't even remember it, computer, and we couldn't think of the things that we hear even in our own news and the depravity of it and the trouble of it, and everything is at an unrest. You know why? Because they have taken the law of God and they've let loose the men and women like monkeys in the zoo. They're trying to run it on their own. The lunatics have taken over the asylum. God's law is that which restrains a nation, gives it guidance, restrains it and gives it guidance. It's God's law that sets down a foundation for the nation to rule itself. It's not Brussels' law, by the way. Brussels' law is going. And I just hope and pray that God will set his law back in to our nation again. They put the law of God out, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, out of parliament and from government buildings, from universities and colleges and schools, even school assemblies. Many of them are shut down now. It's a thing of the past and fast decline. Listen to Proverbs 14 and verse 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. We talk about Great Britain. Talk about making America great again. What about making Britain great again? And look, whether you're for him or not for him or against him, I don't know. I, I, I'm not going to make any further comment on it. <laughs> Boris Johnson coming in as a prime minister. He may be a best of a bad bunch, but I can tell you one thing. That's not going to change our nation around either. Our nation needs to turn back to God. Our government needs to turn back to God. And notice here, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And William Jenkins, another old Puritan, listen to what he says. He that does not preserve the law does not observe the law. Britain stopped observing the law, then they stopped preserving the law. And whenever they stopped preserving the law, they stopped to observe the law. Is it any wonder that our nation and our governments are in the state that they are in? It was once said concerning the Ten Commandments in courthouses and place of legislation. Okay? It was once said in courthouses and places of legislation about the Ten Commandments. Listen, I'll quote it. You cannot post, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not lie in a building full of lawyers, judges, and politicians. (laughs) Isn't that true? We need men and women of God back into the government again. We need men and women of God. The curse is on our nation and is on all who are still outside of Christ. So what is the law of God? Well, we know that the, the ceremonial law was all done away with at Calvary. But the moral law, the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments was never done away with. The Lord Jesus of Matthew 17, he said himself, I am not come to destroy the law and the prophets, but that the law and the prophets might be fulfilled. I'm come to fulfill it. What you couldn't do, I'm doing it for you. Where you failed, Ken, I will succeed. Where you're classed as guilty as charged, you're going to be classed as not guilty when you're in me, for I will keep it for you. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He did not come to destroy them out of his own mouth. So just for a few moments, I want to to look at the law of God or the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, we'll not turn to that yet, uh, but Exodus 20, we have the law given to Moses to give to Israel. And by the time we get to Exodus 32, Moses is up the mountain, he's communing with God, and guess what? Israel, they start thinking, well, where is he? He hasn't come back again. That's Moses, man. He's, he's, He's disappeared, and they build a golden calf, and they build an idol onto Onto the, onto God as they think, this is your God, Israel, that brought thee forth out of Egypt. 
Moses comes down and he smashes the two tables of stone that are written on the front and on the back. And here it is, it's it's symbolic, almost parabolic, of man and woman who break the law of God. Here they are, smash. That's you, he says. Israel, here's the commandments, smashes them. That's you, he says. Ken Davidson, every one of us, here's the commandments, he smashes them and he says, that's you. That's you. Let me just run briefly across these, shall we? The first one is, I shall have no other gods before me. Have you put anyone or anything before God? Christian? The unsaved, they're doing it just without thinking. But what about you, who have been quickened by the Holy Spirit, who are dead in trespasses and sins? Have you? Do I? The answer is, yes, we do. Yes, we do. We shouldn't, we try not to, but we do. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Secondly, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Is there any images that we make? You know what Israel did when Moses was up the mount? They said, see in my brain here, I'm going to think, what is God like? Oh, I know, let's make the bull calf. We know that this is a God. So let's make a bull calf. These be thy gods, O Israel, have brought thee forth up out of the land of Egypt. And they make an idol on the God. What about man? Man thinks today we don't, God is like this and God is like that or God won't do this and God won't do that all against or, 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 or all apart from what the Word of God actually says. What are we doing? We're forming our idols in our minds. God wouldn't send anybody to hell. God wouldn't send anybody to a lake of fire. God wouldn't judge someone and then be found guilty. You see, they're making their own God in their own mind. Oh, God will accept you no matter your lifestyle, no matter what you think or do, or no matter what life you're living, God will accept you as you are, and that is a lie. God is angry with the wicked every day, the Scripture says. They make an idol in their mind. And here's their graven image. They may not carve it out on stone or wood or out of gold or silver, but here we're finding that they have it in their mind. That's how the golden calf happened. Israel formed it in their mind, fashioned it with their hands. And many of us do the same in different ways. Thirdly, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. We know we hear people using the name of Jesus or even just saying God in a flippant way. I hate it. In fact, I hate it more than hearing somebody swearing. It's like a knife through you. But here's the thing. That's not really the full meaning of this, what that means. In Exodus 19, before the law comes in Exodus 20, the tables of stone. In Exodus 19, Israel around Mount Sinai, Moses goes up and the Lord says, tell Israel that if I, if I come down to them, uh, then if they do X, Y, and Z, and they take me as their Lord, and they walk before me, I will be a husband unto them. And Moses officiates a marriage in Exodus 19. So Moses is the minister. Here are the sinners of, of Israel. And here is the Lord come. And, he, and Moses says, will you? And he says, I will. Will you take them to be your God? Yes. Will you take them to be your people? Yes, I do. And more or less, that's a, that's a paraphrase in Exodus 19. And they're married. They're married. So the Lord says, tell the people to get ready. I'm coming down to meet them in three days. He was coming down to consummate the marriage. He came down in Exodus 20 and here was the, uh, the, the, the stones and the law and he realizes he's coming down to consummate the marriage. Tell sanctify the people, he says. Tell them to sanctify themselves and coming down in three days and he comes down to sanctify the marriage in Exodus chapter 20 and then by Exodus 32, there they have, they're away whoring after other gods. The wife whoring after another god. Another husband. That's what God looks like, looks at when he sees those with his name. This is what he says. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Do you know what it means? In his fullness. God is saying, when you and I get married, live up to my name. 
That's what it means. When you say you're mine and I'm yours, then live up to my name. And fourthly, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. It was a holy day, not a holy day. Holy day. It was a day of rest for the man from his labors, yes, but it was holy unto the Lord. Separated and sanctified unto God. You know what he says to Israel? By this shall people know that you're mine when you separate the day of the Lord unto me or the, the Sabbath. Do you remember whenever the shops used to shut the Sunday and there's no trading on a Sunday? And sure the Lord would have blessed and blessed and blessed. Notice I know the Sabbath is the Saturday and the Sunday's the Lord's Day. I'll teach you what I think about that some other time, but we'll nevertheless we'll carry on from that. The first four that I've read there are between Israel and God. They're between you and I and God. First four, four, first four that we read there. And then the other six, which make up the ten, the Decalogue, the other six are between each other. Did you know that? Jesus said that you search the scriptures for them, you think you have eternal life, but those are they which testify of me. He says, you want to read them, they'll testify of me. And that man that came and says, what good thing must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives them them. He says, all these things have I kept from my youth up. And he goes away sad. You know why? Because the Lord wanted him, not just between him and the man, or God and the man. Do you know what he wanted him to do? He wanted him to minister that way. See, the law of the Lord, the Ten Commandments goes vertical. God to man, man to God. And then it goes horizontal, man to man, man to man. Let me show you for a second. Notice, honor thy father and thy mother. See that? Between ourselves, before God. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. You see, uh, you see, if the Ten Commandments are no longer in use, if the law of God is no longer viable for us, then that means we can kill as we're saying. People don't care. Life has no value with people anymore. And so they can take and, 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 and rotten rapists and, 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 and filthy old dirty pedophiles are taking young children and, and they're getting very little of justice uh, instead of being executed. And string them up. And I hung them from every lamppost. And I would. You know why I see the value of life? God's law has been taken out and the value of life has been lessened and that's being added on to the, the little LGBTQ, little, little P. Men are attracted people, they call them. And they're attracted perverts. Listen, thou shalt not kill. Well, I, I haven't actually took a gun or a knife or whatever and killed someone. Now listen, and that may be so of the vast majority of us, maybe all of us here, I don't know. I can't speak for us all. God knows. But Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, he says, and I'm paraphrasing for time's sake, if you look at your brother, or your sister will put it, if you look at your brother with anger, without a cause, in other words, unrighteous anger, there's a righteous anger and there's an unrighteous anger. And if you're angry at your brother without a cause, you have murdered him in your heart. Do you know what he's saying? The law hasn't been done away with. Christ has taken the law and he's amplifying it. He's magnifying it. And he's saying, if you've done that, you've murdered. It's as bad as murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Matthew 5 and 28, Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, or a, or a man, vice versa, we'll put it. But if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. But I have been so faithful to my husband or wife or whatever. I've been so faithful. I've never went out and I've never done. He says, if you've ever looked at a woman or a man like that with lust in your heart, he says, you're an adulterer. Now, Jesus said that. You know what he's saying? If you look at your brother, you're angry, your brother wrong, you're a murderer. If you lust in your heart, you're an adulterer. Even though you haven't committed that sin and looked at it, he says, in the eyes of God, that's where you are. Why? Because God looks in the inward. He looks at the heart. 
and he magnifies it and he amplifies it. Do you know what Jesus is saying to us tonight? He's saying to the world tonight, you're worse than you even think you are. That's what he said. You're even worse than you think you are. People say, I'm not a bad person. <laughs> you're not a bad person. We're all sinners, come short of the glory of God. We're transgressors of the law, and we're all worse than we ever thought ourselves to be. Rotten, filthy sinners. And the schoolmaster comes and teaches us. What do we do? How do we escape the damnation of hell? The lawgiver is able to save. In the person of his lovely, beautiful son, he kept the law we could not keep, and he lived a life we could not live. And he went all the way to Calvary, and he shed his blood and died and paid our debt. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he a wonderful Savior? The schoolmaster would bring us unto Christ. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Eh? And the old Jews, <laughs> strange, isn't it? That the old Jews who were so self-righteous that brought Christ to Pilate, wanting him to be crucified. You know what they did? They stirred up, we're told, they stirred up false witnesses against them that broke the law they said they were keeping. They even broke the law the times that they were bringing them and trying them on, but that's another story for another time. They've done nothing but break the law of God the whole day where they looked for the crucifixion of the Christ of God. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, and thou shalt not covet. <laughs> thou shalt not covet. You know what the Lord Jesus is? To beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And do you know when he says that? He says it in Luke chapter 12. And straight after he says that, we always hear the, the gospel message of the man who had a great harvest or a great crop. And he pulls down his barns to build bigger and he fills it up and he stands back and he says, as he's looking at it, he says, I will say unto my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Do you know what? It's the exact same, ter- or, or pardon me, it's the exact same chapter and what the Lord is saying. That a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And we tend to miss that. Then he runs into that story. Here's one for you. You know what he's saying? He's saying we're worse than we think we ever were. You see, it's impossible. Idolaters. Blasphemers. Adulterers. Thieves. Coveters. We go on. And we could go on and see four toward God and man, between God and man, the other six between each other. And the Lord says, if you place this between you and your God first, and then the next six are between ourselves, we'll be able to govern our nation. Will you turn with me to Romans, please? Chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. These are all very quiet now. It's serious, isn't it? I have family out there. I think they're fine. I'm a good Ulster loyalist. Well, you'll go to hell if you don't know Christ. If you don't know Christ. And that's what they're like. They're so superstitious, and I love them, but they're superstitious. Superstition will take you to hell too. Notice, if you will, Romans chapter 7, please, and verse 12. Notice what Paul writes here. Wherefore the law is holy. What is the law? Holy. Oh, the law is holy. It's horrible and you shouldn't preach about that. The law, Paul said, the law is holy. Do you know why it's so horrible? Because we're so unholy. The law is holy 
and the commandment holy and just and good. Notice what he says in verse 13. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know what Paul's saying? Paul's saying this holiness of God, the law of God, it's holy and it's good. He says, what then? And to me, it's becoming death. Well, that's what it points to. And that's what it shows you, Paul. But he says that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. That's what I'm only after showing you. That's why I showed you it. Really, the law of God, the law of God shows us even we're, we're even more sinners than what we thought we were. Deep died in the womb. Sin is in our very nature, our fallen germs and genes of Adam. We cannot help ourselves. And the commandment might become exceeding sinful. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56, the apostle says these words. He tells us the sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. Wages of sin is death. Isn't that right? The strength of sin is the law. The law is sin. Here's who you are. I'm not going to talk about me, Ken Davidson. See, as a natural, carnal man, there's who you are. That's who you are. Holy God. The holiness of God. In the law of God. That's who you are in comparison to him. So any wonder that man, even men like Daniel and like Ezekiel, men like John, says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Daniel says when he saw him, he says he, there, he retained no strength in him and my comeliness turned in me into corruption. You know what Daniel says? The man who prayed three times a day. Daniel, that beloved one of the Lord. Do you know what Daniel says? Even that what I thought was good in me turned to corruption in the presence of holiness. And men and women think we're going to die and waft to heaven in a handbasket. Oh, glorious, and we're going to enter in through the gates where the big apostle Peter's going to welcome us all, and the angels are going to be singing in glorious throng, nonsense, rubbish, poppycock, and lies. Holiness of God. If men like Ezekiel and Daniel and John fell at his feet as dead, the only, only reason they could get up again, he says, he laid his right hand on me. Give him the strength. The only reason that you and I are going to be able to stand that day before him and worship and serve him forever, the only way we're going to be able to do it because he laid his hand upon us, because he died for us, because he paid our debt, because he shed his precious blood, and we're trusting in the finished work of Calvary. Amen. Man hasn't a hope without Christ. Man is no hope without Christ. Romans 3 and verse 20. Romans 3 and verse 20. Paul writes, Therefore by the deeds of this law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Oh. I wonder, do people actually read the Bible? Do they read it? Therefore, by the deeds of this law, there shall no flesh be justified. In other words, there'll be no flesh declared righteous or just as if they'd never sinned, according to the law. In his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Would you say that by the law is the knowledge of sin? That's it. By the law is is the knowledge of sin. One more time. By the law. So how do we know that we're sinners by the law of God? We're going to have to look at it, aren't we? That's how we know we're sinners. And so Galatians 3 and 24, wherefore the law 
was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified. Notice the law was our schoolmaster to bring us where? To Christ. The law was our schoolmaster. The word schoolmaster here is a big word. I hope I pronounce it right. It's piedagogos. I think that's how you pronounce it. And what they used to do, they used to get a, uh, uh, maybe it was usually a slave then, but what they used to do, especially in Greek and, and Roman times, they used to get one and he was a home, he lived with them at home. And when they had children growing up, the age is reckoned to be between 6 and 16 years of age, they had, as it were, look after these boys especially. So they took them to school and they taught them etiquette. Taught them how to walk, how to live, how to have etiquette, what to do in life. They educated them. They told them what was right and what was wrong. And they told them it until they learned it and they started to live it. That's the piedagogos. And the word here, both terms in schoolmaster in both our, our verses is the word piedagogos. The law is the piedagogos that brings us unto Christ. And the law is with us. So the law is written on tablets of stone and Moses breaks the law. You can have your children and you can say, here's some chores for you or here's what's the right and here's what's wrong and you can drum it into them. And they'll remember it for maybe a five minutes or they'll remember it for an hour maybe and they'll feel maybe what they've done wrong for a while or whatever. And they may even say they're sorry, but it doesn't take long to go out and do it again. They forget all about it. You know why? Because it's back home. Comes back home. But when they're brought up like this, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, here's the law of God. Here they start to learn about the Lord. They live it. Having Christ is living Christ. And the living Christ having you. I'm going to try and round this up. Thank you for your attention. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and God's law may have seemed hard, harsh, and cruel, but really God's law is full of love (laughs) because he loved you enough to show you who you are that he might save you. He's a lawgiver, the one lawgiver who's able to save, but he's able to destroy. In Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us, praise God, Thank you, Jesus. Bought us back. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, he didn't say Christ has redeemed us from the law, from the curse of the law. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my... What did he say? Keep my... That's New Testament. That's what he says. Yes, we are under grace every second because we are failing all the time. But as we trust in Christ, our debt is paid. And even though we are failing every moment, we're living under grace and that's the only way we'll ever make it to glory. Yet the law is written in our hearts. Will you turn with me to Jeremiah 31? Shall we wrap this up, please? Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, please. And let your eye run down just to verse 31. Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, though I was an husband. Notice, unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law, where? In their inward parts. And write it in their, where? In their hearts. Where's God's law today? In us. In, our, in the inward parts. It's in our hearts. We walk with it. It's not we leave church and we have done our thing. We have done our ritual. We've done our bit. We've done our church going and we leave on a Sunday. And when we walk out on a Sunday, we live like devils until the next week. No, because you see the laws here. No, brothers and sisters, it's written on our hearts. And when we leave here, it's not like the child that leaves the parent and goes out and does it all over again. We walk with the law in our hearts and when we get it wrong, the Spirit of God talks to us, convicts us of our sins. 
And the man and the woman who say, oh, we're carnal Christians, there's no such a thing. No such a thing. Notice what he says. In their inward parts and read it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's wonderful. William R. Newell wrote, By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. At Calvary, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan, oh, the grace that brought it down to man, oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Isn't he wonderful? That Christ became a curse for us who were under the curse of the law. And he kept the law that we couldn't keep that we might be forgiven of all our transgressions and our law-breaking. Before God, we stand complete in Christ with the righteousness of Christ upon us. And we are declared, those who are trusting in the finished, full and free work of Christ on Calvary's tree, we are declared by the Father not guilty. (laughs) Not guilty. Oh, free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once and for all. Hallelujah. Mom, brothers and sisters, praise him tonight. He's worthy of the glory. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Oh, glory goes to Christ. When you go home, read 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 19. And you'll read there where John and Paul tell us about keeping the commandments, not for salvation, but rather sanctification, to walk before him and to be upright before God. I pray you're saved tonight because that's who you are in his sight if you're not saved. That's what you are in his sight if you're not saved. And Christ has paid the debt and you must come and put your all in him that you might be forgiven and washed in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless us tonight.